Fantastic. Right. Thank you so much, everyone, for coming and getting up early on a Sunday morning when you could be having a lie-in to listen to us lot. Um, so, yeah, my name's Will Freeman. I'm a freelance video games journalist and Edge the Guardian, Observer, Eurogamer, that kind of place, do other bits and pieces in the games industry, um, script editing and so on. So that is me, but you don't, listen to don't need to listen to too much of me. I'm just going to be chairing this panel. Uh, our panel of expert producers. Um, so, you know, I think in the more traditional producer role in perhaps film and television is relatively misunderstood by the layperson. Um, and I think it's fair to say that even more so in games, the role is kind of so pivotal to a game being made relatively misunderstood. I confess, you know, for nine years I was at a magazine called Develop, which was for game developers, Took me a few issues as a uh, staff writer to get my head around the role when I was writing about the process of games development. So it can be a mystery even to people. I imagine it can be a mystery to people actually uh, working with game producers sometimes. We'll uh, get to that one. Um, so yeah, we're going to kind of try and understand what being a game producer is, explore the role, how it's changing, why it's important, what the opportunities are for you if you want to become a games producer, or perhaps how you'll be able to uh, work well with producers if you're going to get another type of role in the games industry. Um, so yeah, I'll do some brief introductions, and then we're going to look at some trailers of these guys' uh, projects and so on to give you some context. So um, next to me here, Sophie Rossetti, producer at Bossa. Um, then we've got Des Gale, freelance producer, um, I guess well-known, if producers are well-known. Uh, I, I know him for uh, the uh, Square Enix collection uh, stuff. Um, then next we have Adrienne Law, a video game producer at Us Two Games. And um, last but not least on the end there, John Rennie, uh, both a producer in the world of TV and games, so a thorough expert across the disciplines. Really? <laughs> no, don't worry. Um, right, so what I'll do first of all, guys, is just get you to kind of introduce yourself. So, yeah, Sophie. Hi, um, I'm Sophie, I'm a producer at Bossa Studios, we're London based, um, we're currently working on a couple of major things, there's Worlds Adrift, which is an MMO, which is pretty huge for us, um, and that's like using physics and a persistent world and all these new and exciting and technically crazy things, and then I'm also working on a game called Deck Splash, which is a, a multiplayer skateboarding game with a kind of interesting competitive twist as well, using paint and colours and stuff. Um, I've been in the industry for five years and started at Beefjack, like a small mobile and like advert game company, which is now doing games PR, and then Curve Digital, which yeah started off as a studio making their own indie games and then helped other indies get their games ported and published onto console, and now they are a full-blown producer doing that full-time, um, publisher doing that full-time. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I've been at Boston for nine months now, really enjoying it. Cool. Yeah. It does, yeah. Do you want to... Yeah, uh, so yeah, morning. Uh, my name's Des Gale, and I, uh, I'm a founder of my own micro studio, uh, Autogene. And uh, through that, I'm a freelance producer because that's when I used to have a job. That's what I used to do. Um, I started a very long time ago working uh, for Lego before their games got cool. Um, and then uh, I spent some time at Microsoft launching the original Xbox. Then I kind of, uh, where did I go after that? Oh, I went for EA working on pretty much every Harry Potter game uh, between, well, for five years. After that, I got my first producer job working at Exeunt on all the FIFA franchises for handheld. 
Um, and uh, yeah, so now I'm kind of, most of the bulk of my work is working for Square Enix Collective, um, and we, or I, am looking after eight titles this year, one of which is Oh My God Heads. So my name's Adrienne, and I'm a producer at Us Two Games. Uh, so we're a premium mobile studio based in, in the South London. Um, you'll have to bear with me slightly because I'm getting over a cold, so I may occasionally be uh, coughing up a lung. Um, so uh, we've been working on uh, premium mobile games for probably about five years now, I think. Um, so we've made uh, a game called Monument Valley, um, which is a sort of puzzle game, beautiful puzzle game. And uh, we made Land's End, which was for Gear VR. Um, and uh, yeah, I've been in the industry for about two years now, almost exactly. So, yeah. Yeah, and again, last but not least, and possibly our most uh, distinct uh, one here in terms of uh, doing a bit in TV as well, uh, John. Yeah, so uh, my name's John Rennie. I'm Managing Director of Bait Studio. Uh, well, actually, Bait Studio, Classic Animation and Thud Media. So it's three companies in one. Bait Studio covers motion design and VFX work. Uh, classic Animation does animation for children's, mainly. If you, have, if you watch CBBS or anything else like that, you'll have seen some of the stuff we do. And the uh, smallest but grow, I mean, sort of fastest growing side is Third Media, which is our interactive publisher. So uh, we do a lot of work across different disciplines. Um, and we're kind of doing all three together because we have a lot of multidisciplinary people in the company. And it harks back to my origins at a company called Bullfrog a very, very long time ago. Oh, right. Uh, I was a lowly but very significant games tester. And in fact, one of my friends posted on Facebook, the Steam Hospital is 20 years old today. And I went, bollocks. That means I'm, that's 20 years ago I was working on that. So, um, so yes, yeah, so that's been kind of bringing all sides of my experience together into one company now. And we work on different projects together. So I guess we should dive in. And I kind of feel meek about this first question, because one, I'm sure you get this all the time. Two, it feels like I could ask this and just leave the stage and let you guys answer, because it's the, kind of the most obvious one. Is how do you individually define your roles. I guess this is me saying, what is a game producer? But and I guess I'd also be interested to hear, you know, how typical you feel your role is. You know, it'd be interesting to hear about kind of how much diversity of what a producer is. So I don't know who wants to tackle that meandering and huge question first. I'll go. Go on, Des. Um, so yeah, the problem with that is, yeah, you, you, you could get wildly different answers because every business has different needs from their producer. So um, when I first started, it was literally just, uh, I was an AP and it was just like, here's the project, uh, it's a porting job, it's fairly simple, don't fuck it up. So I'm like, <laughs> okay, all right, no problem. Um, but now, so I'm, I'm more like a program manager now, so my actual game side stuff, it's, it's like not day-to-day -day anymore. I'm more high level, so I'm just mm -hmm. like, okay, are, they, are these projects hitting the dates they're supposed to? Have we got the trailers we're supposed to have? Are we speaking to Sony and Microsoft and Nintendo? Do they know what we're doing? Uh, have we failed any submissions? So it's, it's, yeah, I mean, wow. But and also I do a lot of legal stuff, uh, right. like sorting out all the contracts and like all of my jobs before, I've never had to do that. Um, <laughs> yeah, so that's kind of like a, yeah. I guess, no, the best way to answer that is we're, we're the games industry's ninjas. <laughs> right. You know, like we, we get a job, it's like, hey, producer, I need to deal with this for me. And whatever that is or whatever company, we just get it done. So is it fair to say you've 
the early experience maybe you're more hands-on with the development process through yeah. to being more I don't I guess managerial is not the word but something like that yeah no totally um, so my first job I was literally talking to a team every day uh, solving their problems I guess um, and that could be anything so as much as making sure the fridge is full up um, and just make sure like that you know they got all the correct licenses on their on machines and stuff because I'm underselling it now, but <laughs> to make a game, right, producers are a luxury, a necessary luxury, but, you know, you need the skill positions. You need code, you need art, you need design, right? Then you can make a game. Yeah. If we do our jobs really well, you don't really know that we're there. Uh, if we do our jobs badly, then we stick out like a sore thumb. Um, yeah, and it's just... Yeah, I think what you're saying about, you know, like making sure everything's going smoothly, it's like, you know, it's managing, it's motivating, but it's also just removing blockages and problems. That's like the main thing that, yeah, like you said, people don't notice when we're doing it right. But yeah, we're just trying to stop things stopping you from doing your job all right. the time. Yeah. Yeah, I think for me, um, working at us too, I've, I've, I've only ever worked at us too in terms of my, my games experience, and it's, it's essentially shaped me into being the exact type of producer that was needed to fill, fill the gap. Because um, when Monument Valley was made, the team was about eight, eight or nine people. And obviously, because that, that did quite well, there was a lot of growth and expansion, and there was just a lot more demand uh, for things outside of the normal kind of production uh, work. So uh, Dan Gray, our head of studio, who was the executive producer at the time, um, he just needed someone to start picking up slack, basically. So I came in uh, to just be his, his extra pair of hands. Um, and because we just were quite a demanding place to work and uh, ambitious, and essentially that, that role just grew from me coming in to be handling like asset requests from like the press and that kind of thing to, to being a full producer very, very quickly. Um, but in terms of my day-to-day, -day, I think... It's, it's best kind of characterised by if it needs to be done and there's no one else whose job it is to do it, then it's your job to do, to do, to do it. Um, and between sort of myself, our um, QA, uh, QA person, who's also kind of moving into production now, uh, and Dan, we just, it's just like, one of us needs to do it. So whoever, whoever is around and has technically I know, a finger free, maybe not the hands free, but they, they haven't just enough slack to do it, then, then we just work it out between ourselves. So it, it's everything that isn't code or art or design is, is production, really. Similar story for yourself, John? Yeah. Well, you are. Yeah, as a producer, you're the glue that holds everything together. I mean, I've done mm -hmm. film producing, TV producing, animation producing, and, yeah, you're there to make sure creatives come together, choose the right people, make sure they get it done on time, because they tend mm -hmm. not to. Um, and in the end, you probably won't get a great deal of opportunity to do creative yourself, but you'll have a hand in every level of production. So a good producer is somebody who knows what every side of production is doing, so you know actually how to talk to them and understand how they can fit together. Right. I tend to find a lot of people focus on, you know, if you're doing a particular craft, you focus on one thing, like programming or cinematography or animation, but a producer needs to have the experience of probably all of them to bring those together to make sure they're balanced in the right way. And you've provided me with a convenient segue there for my next question, which was about how creative the role can be. And, you know, as you'd mentioned one of your early producing roles, oh, sorry, this is a question for everyone, but <clears throat> you'd mentioned one of your early roles being kind of more hands-on. Do you got, how, how do you <coughs> see it as a creative role? Can you be a creative producer? Do you feel creative in your work? 
I actually think you can, and it's one of those things where it's it's growing and changing all the time. But yeah, you're saying the glue, or you know, someone says the spider in the center of the web. You know, everyone's on their string, but you're there in the middle, and you kind of know and touch everything a little bit. Um, but yeah, like depending on the structure of the studio, some places actually have, you know, like someone that's doing more of the project management, the schedule side, and someone that is there owning the vision of the product mm -hmm. and having that creative, you know, not just input, but like final decisions. Um, so depending on how you define your producer in your, in your company, but also if that's not, if you're not the person that owns the final vision, you can also kind of incept things, you know, like the way you frame a question or the way you kind of help the team arrive at a conclusion that can be like quite a creative process where you're in there like going, you're the expert, but have you considered this maybe? <laughs> so yeah. Um, yeah, so I've, I've been quite lucky having to do both sides of the, just to further your point is, um, yeah, I find some of the best companies split that work up. Mm -hmm. So um, project management is very sort of numbers heavy and you don't really care about what it is. It's just you care about the mechanics. Um, so I'm quite lucky to do both. So yeah, originally my first job, um, we were making FIFA. Like I love playing football and actually playing football games. So I was a lot more creative heavy on that one. But when we worked on um, Need for Speed, which was a racing game, I don't, I don't care about cars. So that's when like that, that weight shifted, so like, okay, I care about numbers now. Um, and, th and just a little similar, the, the sort of like the, maybe not a game level, but a platform level. So, you know, a DS game, to feel like a DS game should do these things. Mm -hmm. So whenever they're deviating from that, I'm like, no, 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 bring it back, bring it back. It's not a console game, it's a DS game. And then, well, that's the, the level of it. And I guess there's a, if you're steering creativity in that context, there's a, that, that's a form of creativity, right? Yeah. I yeah. guess. Yeah. But yeah, it's just where you fill in the scale. Yeah. Like, yeah if, like, if I ever made a fighting game, I'd be firmly on that creative mm. side. I'd be like, yeah, yeah. come on. Because you're always out there fighting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's one that you have to be pretty tidy as well to be a producer. No, you don't. <laughs> but yeah, I don't, do you want to add, Yeah, I think, I think for us, in the, the way that we kind of approach game making generally, uh, not necessarily specific to production, but we, we see every role as a creative role. We don't kind of distinguish between these are the people that make the games and then these are the other people. Um, so, so in terms of production, I think that, that does apply quite well because we're quite, quite collaborative. We sit in mixed teams. We don't sit with like the programmers over here and then the artists over there. And then like I don't have to be a conduit in, in the sort of very strict sense of like that those people don't know what each other are doing. I think our, our teams are so mixed and we're all so sort of day-to-day -day, the communication is, is strong enough that I don't have to mm -hmm. perform that role. And the way that we, uh, that we work is that we're always kind of asking for feedback anyway. And I think as a producer, my feedback is, is it's often sort of tinted by the fact that I'm aware of schedules and other constraints and deliverables and things. So I might sort of suggest that something might be better <laughs> scaled down, that, that, that kind of thing. But we don't... Uh, my my role isn't necessarily to be the decider, to be the person who says no, you can't you can't do that. Um, so it's it's more a case of making sure that everyone is aware of the situation, and then we'll we'll agree something uh, together. So it it is quite it's like a creative input without necessarily making exact creative contributions, if that makes sense. Yeah. I would I would say it is a creative role. Right. Okay. And I, if, if you'd kind of already touched on it in your previous answer, but I don't know if you had anything to add there, John. Yeah, no, you do get to be creative. I mean, it's not um, the thing is you're kind of the business creative. You're not the the creative creative. So you're there touching. I mean, you're talking to. You're also protecting the team actually. 
So as a producer, you're also talking to people above you or people are funding something or the producers on the project, you, uh, the project you're working on, so you're working for them. And you're getting feedback, you're, you're filtering things. So I think you're there as the linchpin and the communication between everybody. And I think it's the, it is the job that nobody really understands what you do because if, you, if you've done it right, nobody really knows. And yeah. your, your name will be on the credits, but they won't, they won't really quite understand which bit you've done. Um, but I think, you know, I mean, I, I get such scripts, I get to be in the early development meetings, and then I leave a project, okay, right, put the team together. I'll dip in every now and again to make sure it's okay, mm -hmm. and then come and sit on panels like this and talk about it later. <laughs> um, but, you know, if you look, you know, don't know the example of the show, <laughs> Toots and Tugby, it's a, you know, it's animation project first, which had interactive as part of its budget, but we then got to find ways of, you know, there's two games there, one of which is aimed at a much younger audience, three to five-year-olds, just like a sandbox game, mm -hmm. just run, you know, going around the harbour. Then there's a racing game which is aimed at a slightly older audience um, so they can actually have a, you know, a challenge mm -hmm. uh, and have an achievement. Um, but again, it's working with the animation producers, you know, who, who don't do games and saying, well, okay, right, you can't do this, this, you have all this ambition, this is lovely, but let's rein it back to this, let's keep the narrative mm -hmm. simple and aim is at the audience you, 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 want, to, you want to find. So. Yeah. And it's something we're touching on already, but I guess how do each of you or any of you go about, you know, it certainly seems to be in some cases or in many cases a kind of management and guidance role, and yet you've got to do that without kind of stifling or constraining creativity. You know, I guess a simple example is, well, be creative, but to this briefing by that time, that can be helpful and hindrance for a creative person. So how do you guys kind of get that balance right of keeping people on track and without stifling that creativity. I think I find that just making sure that you talk to everybody every day, as much as I can anyway, um, it really helps because it's, there's just a sort of natural kind of like an empathy relationship that you have then where the people can, people can understand where I'm coming from and I can understand where they're coming from in a way that it doesn't feel like I have to go up to people and be like, you can't do that now or you have to do this thing now. Um, and just trying to sort of make sure that it doesn't feel like there's any kind of resistance between me as a producer and then the creative kind of direction of the project. I've got my colleagues right here and I'm like... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'll ask you what like like the final question. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I think um, just, just trying to sort of make sure that, that those two things don't ever feel like they're in opposition uh -huh. means that, that you can kind of make sure that the creative kind of energy is still going in the right direction and it's more just a case of like course adjustment I think for me so just mm -hmm. not necessarily reining things in but being like well if we're going to go in a direction let's at least make sure we're going in the right one um, yeah yeah I think like yeah making sure people are aware of the realities of what they're doing like commercial impacts is definitely it's like it's a fine balance though because you don't want to scare them off being creative completely because I've definitely had designers go oh but we don't have time to do that I'm like don't worry about that like you know I'll, you know, I'll work out when we'll have time for that because you don't want to lose those ideas like you're saying. You want to yeah. be able to foster that creativity. So I think also um, being able to communicate that upwards as well, so managing expectations um, with, the, with the people that are controlling some of the commercial aspects. Uh, and, yeah, just, like, giving yourself enough time to actually talk these things through, you know, like, actually convincing people that pre-production is important <laughs> and... And even like kind of again the inception thing, you know, starting pre-production before pre-production, being like, what do you think about this at the pub or at lunch or whatever, get people's minds ticking so that we go in and we start breaking down that task they've already thought about some of the dependencies and stuff. So yeah. Right. Doing, yeah. Uh, I mean, to add there. For me, it's just been 
like depends on the situation. So I mean, with a porting job, you know, you've got a fixed budget, fixed time. You can't really be too creative in that. But we did have an argument with uh, VA at the time um, because we did want to be a little bit more creative. We were making Tiger Woods, and we were like, oh, to make it fit the back then was PSP and, uh, and and 3DS. We're like, we should do these things, bring these back from a different part of the franchise, and. To be, it's not being recorded, is it? Very good. Mm. Well, it might to, go on a, the BAFTA podcast, Des. To, just to be polite, they, <laughs> it was um, literally, I just say, from an EA perspective, it was a budget thing. Yeah. They had the money to spend. They're like, listen, don't go outside the lines, just do what we ask, and, and that's fine. Yeah. Um, and that's a bit hard to take sometimes. Um, and in other projects where we had maybe a, a healthy budget, but we had a long time. And that's a very, very dangerous situation to be in because you're like, oh, I'm not releasing for three years. We'll keep messing around. And um, yeah, whilst I'm on the fence where like, okay, let creatives be creative. You're like, yeah, guys, it takes this amount of time to make a console game on three platforms. So we need to be kind of done by, you know, in a couple of months. It's, yeah. It's, yeah, it's tough. Yeah. I'm getting the impression the role of the producer is as varied as well, the game, role of the games producer is as varied as games studios are, right? We have many thriving one-person teams. I think Black, Assassin's Creed Black Flag was the first, first game with over a thousand contributors. So there's a, yeah, well, that's how producers react when you say a thousand, a team of a thousand. But there are so many types of game player, game type, audience. It seems, especially if anyone in the audience is expecting a career in producing, that your role, if we did this panel in a year or two years, your roles might be different. Is that a fair observation? I think so. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. It depends on, I mean, it depends on the game itself. I mean, you know, we work for different sized companies and, you know, if you work for EA and it's these huge teams doing, you know, big games, you have to have a number of producers. And, right. But of course, when you're a small team, you know, working on, on small games, then you actually, you as a producer are going to have probably more integral role because the game actually can't afford for you to just sit there and produce. And in fact, you won't have enough to do, really, once you've done that bit. So you'll end up testing, you'll end up doing writing, you'll you do quite a lot of other parts of the, of the process. So again, the experience of having, of understanding what each part of the, all the departments do is important. But if you do now, you can dip in, you can help out. I mean, I spend, you know, I, I, I could have, Hundred people back in Cardiff doing animation, different places. But I end up building the render farm. You know, I end up fixing, installing software at right. eight o'clock at night. You know, okay. sorting out contracts for people, wondering why the bins haven't been emptied. That's yeah, what you do you just do it? It's your problem solved. You figure it out. And what's this? Isn't really. It's so simple. I hadn't really thought to ask this, but I guess when people think of game development, they think of maybe art and level design and gameplay and mechanics. And you guys are all involved in the medium of games in a really important way. Like what? What is the thrill or the reward of producing for you guys? Like, what? Maybe none of you enjoy it. No. <laughs> like, what? 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 What makes you tick in terms of what you're doing within games? Yeah, I mean, again, I've met producers that it's purely about the process. They're just obsessed with the mechanics of the schedule and stuff. But for me, it's it's the joy of making games in general. You know, like, yeah, that's really helped me a lot in the companies I work for to love playing games and to love being being there when you see it on the store. But also, yeah, bringing all of those amazing creative and technical minds mm -hmm. together and just seeing them do their thing. I think that's just like every day I'm inspired. Every, every day is different. Like, yeah, it's just a lot of high energy excitement for me anyway. I think um, for me, it's like I, I like working in games. This is like here. Yeah, but I really like working at us too. 
like I think it's it's very specific. Like I think I looked into a, a company where it's not just about the kind of the day to day kind of the work that I do. It's about us working together and, and the way that we, we are as a team. Um, so in terms of the way that I approach producing is that I just feel like I make a contribution to the, the team. Like I, I, on a day to day, I might not necessarily be like, oh, I did this one thing that made the game better today, but I might have helped someone put a like their put their new uh, get some like technical support on putting a new new feature in or that kind of thing and it's it's that kind of you're a step removed from actually being able to point at things in the game and be like yes right. I did that but the 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 fact that you know that the being in the room and talking to people and and helping in that way has actually contributed to the game is a, is a really good feeling for me I, I really enjoy jobs where I get to talk to people quite a lot and game, uh, jobs when I get to be really organised. Yeah. So th those two kind of qualities really, I think, are, are well suited to being a producer because you're so reliant on your communication skills and on just how much information you can retain in your head at once, yeah. I think. And, I, and I've gotten better at, at m having more, but I'm constantly just writing lists all the time and just trying to get all of these things written down somewhere and trying to share it with other people and make sure that it's not all in my head. But mm -hmm. That is like a, it is a part of it where people will people will just ask you off off the cuff like oh what's the date when we had to do that thing for and it's like I I should at least within probably within a day or two <laughs> I'll probably know it like, <laughs> um, so I think if if you enjoy that side of things if you enjoy kind of just just looking for information not necessarily like being given it but like being like okay I'm actually concerned about if we want to do this in three months what does mm. that actually mean in terms of where we need to be in a month or in two months. Yeah. If, you, if you're just curious about that kind of thing, then I think the production is, it, is a really... You're making me think it sounds like a fantastic opportunity to be involved in kind of the full spectrum of game development. You know, for being a game artist is amazing, but especially in your early years at a bigger studio, you might have to create 200 variants of a tree, right? Whereas it sounds like as producers, and particularly maybe if you're thinking about your game's career, it's a real chance to kind of have your fingers in all the game's development pies. It's sort of become storytelling, I think. I mean, right. for me, because I've started off in games, then went to filmmaking, gone to mm -hmm. animation, come back to games in a way. Interactive versus narrative storytelling is very different. Um, people will try and do interactive movies, but it never really works for the simple fact you, it's yeah. restriction in terms. <laughs> um, but I, that's what I find interesting about it. It's another way of telling a story and taking, you know, kids' animation or taking uh, a film and making a, you know, game out of it or an interactive experience. It's, it's just, you know, sitting around a campfire telling a story, it's just another way of doing it, and you're involved a little bit more. So, you know, like you said, every day's different. Um, I don't know what my skills are. When the zombie apocalypse comes, I'll be absolutely useless. I can film it and do probably some ironic cartoons about how the zombies right. are using us. That's about as much use as I will be. I won't be obviously farming. I come from Wales, I've, you know, don't, don't look at sheep at all. So, uh, you know, I kind of, it's, but it's fun. I get to entertain kids for a living. It's a privilege. Yeah. And that's why I have to remind some people when they're sitting moaning about, oh, why have I got to work on this? I said, you entertain kids for a living. Seriously, there are a hell of a lot worse jobs you could be doing. Mm -hmm. So go on and do it and don't moan. So, <laughs> at, least, I, at least, hopefully, again, that isn't being recorded. <laughs> I, um, it is, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> My favourite bit about it is just all the ninja stuff, like the problem solving. Um, just all the randomness that comes out of it, because at the end of the day, like you're dealing with people, right? Mm -hmm. And my goal is, and uh, what I believe is, happy people make happy teams, happy teams make happy products. And I think that's a great world to be in. And um, 
and traditionally, like business-wise, some of those problems are just technically nothing to do with the business. Um, you know, I've had like people who've broken up relationships, and it's weird because. Because you have to balance the business aspirations and the team aspirations, you kind of sometimes you don't notice stuff until you're in the numbers. And like you look at someone's performance, you're just like, whoa, whoa, whoa just a minute. You did 10 assets last month, and this month you've done about three. And so at that point, you have to go, oh, okay. Hey, man, how you doing? What's it? Not, why have you, where, where's my other seven assets? It's <laughs> what's behind that. Yeah. You know, there's always something that, that causes that bump in the road. And then, you know, I love sorting that stuff out. You know, just... You know, it just goes that extra mile. You know, you take them out of the business environment. It's like, hey man, you know, we're all family here. What's the, what's, what do you need? Do you need to do half days? You know, and, and so one guy um, was, he just couldn't do nine o'clock starts. Just couldn't do it. He, he, I was like, okay, fine. Um, and my boss actually wanted me to fire him. Right. And I was just like, okay, cool. I hear you. Um, let me see if there's another way around this. Yeah. And, um, Essentially, what I did is I rescheduled the work so that he wasn't um, on the critical path anymore. So as long as he delivered on time, it would be fine for everyone else. So he started doing, effectively, the night shift. <laughs> he did 4 till 12 every day, and his productivity was great. Just couldn't get in at 9 o'clock. But he just, instead of being catastrophic and firing him, he's like, no, 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 let's just move him over here. And then it just, just you know, keeps everyone happy, right? Sounds like he's lucky he found you. Mm. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and yeah, before I, I've just realised I didn't mention something at the beginning, is there will be an opportunity to ask questions at the end. So if you wanted to uh, get the grey matter uh, ticking when we've got kind of 10 minutes to go. If you haven't got any questions, I've got far too many here. But, you know, um, yeah, there will be an opportunity at the end. <coughs> um, I wanted to talk next about, we've kind of talked about how producing touches every element of game development and every part of the studio from kind of people's personal lives to what's in the fridge. I, I wondered about how it kind of goes the other way in terms of how the other disciplines in influence what you're doing, you know, from composing or UX is something we were talking about before, like how, how your work is responsive or influenced by the other disciplines around you. So I think, um, so to give a bit of sort of context, um, S2 Games originally came out of S2, which is a digital product studio, um, and they're, they're just experts really in, in UX and just trying to get like an intuitive understanding of the way that people interact with mobile devices. Yeah. So, so we're quite... actually yeah, a little brief explanation of UX. So I imagine 90% of our audience know what uh, it is, but for the yes. other 10%. So it's about user experience. So it's about sort of the way that you try and guide someone through using a product um, and trying to do that in a really uh, intuitive kind of way. Um, so, so we kind of had, we were surrounded basically by experts in interacting with mobile devices. So when, when we were working uh, out of that studio, like every user tester basically had an opinion on the way that the, you would actually like, play with something that we were working on. Um, and that, that kind of knowledge, is, it's, it's just kind of seeped into the, the, way, the way that we work now. So when we're sort of questioning ourselves and the, the kind of, uh, if we're working on like a, a new mechanic for something or if we're working on uh, just in, in iterations of something, we're really asking questions about when we put this in people's hands, do they, enjoy playing with it as opposed to playing it right um, so when you when you're looking at a game like monument valley for example the there was a, there's a toy like quality that we really wanted to to get out of that as opposed to it's necessarily saying it's just a game it's like it's a game but it's also a toy it's fun to play with um so now when we're when we're approaching use testing we don't tend to necessarily look for gamers 
Uh, we look for people who know how to use a mobile device and who are curious enough that they would try what, 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 what we might be working on. Um, and then we really take that, that use testing very, very seriously because if we put something in someone's hands, we don't, we don't want it to be difficult to use. We might want it to be a little bit difficult to solve something, but we don't want it to be difficult to interact with. Um, and I think um, as a producer, kind of looking at, looking at that, that kind of thing, it's just, it's, just, it's just sort of, I'm not necessarily even reminding people, I think it's so ingrained in the way that, that we work now, but I think it's just sort of keeping an oversight on when we're doing testing, like knowing who, who did we test this on and when we get feedback from it, like how does that relate to what we did? So if we've given something to someone who's a gamer and who absolutely just is completely plays all the time and they solve it in three seconds. That doesn't necessarily mean it was like too easy of a puzzle. Because if we're trying to if we're trying to make something that that like like uh, with Monument Valley that 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 a, a six year old could pick up or a seventy year old could pick up, there's such a variation in that that you want people to enjoy the fact that they played with it, not necessarily worry about how long it took them to solve it. Right. Do any of other of you kind of feel a similar thing? Maybe you know, I guess if producing is a managing role, it sounds like at the same time your work can be influenced maybe by even the creative ethic of the studio you're with. Is that something the rest of you recognise at all? No. Yeah, so, um, so the, the, the business side of stuff's very dry and um, what I learned from my artists and designers is that I could show my reports in a little bit of a nicer way because uh, I'm just like, there's information, bang, in a Word doc, have fun. Um, but it's tough. So when you're doing that reporting stuff, because I, I don't know about you guys, but sometimes not everyone has the same software, not everyone knows how to use the same software, and even if they do, like, interrogating the data is quite tough. So I spent a lot of time with our UX people, like, look, okay, this is what I see, and this is the information I need to give to the upper people and everyone on the team. <laughs> how can I make it look nice so they'll look at it and understand where we are so I don't have to go around and talk to them every day explaining. Because that's the worst thing, it is when you're in the zone, it's tough to get interrupted. And so if everyone says, oh, what's the project doing? How's it looking like? I can literally be like, go there. It's always up to date. And then now there's, you know, there's pie charts and bar graphs. It, look, it looks lovely, um, which is, you know, and I wouldn't have got that without speaking to any of our US guys, so. Yeah, that's a really good one. Or just like, Generally, I don't know, for me, I'm learning a lot from the coders about, you know, they've brought in experience from other studios about how to optimize their processes. And I know that's kind of maybe a bit dry as well, but when someone goes, you know, at our other studio, we had this kind of test-driven development going on. So it means that you have less strain on QA and like, we can actually play the game every day, which helps me, you know, like keep an eye on what's going on. It's like a good, opt all that sort of stuff has been really helpful. So like learning from, coders that have had a really good optimized experience and had like good technical leads to show them. I think those two are actually a lot closer than people would expect. So, yeah. I think I, I, I totally agree with that. I think a lot of what makes my job easier is to just find out how, how much expertise is already in the room and then just, just to make use of that all the time. Like I, I think especially with, with the kind of uh, team growth that, we, that we've had, uh, we've, had to do, we've had to sort of change the way that we've been working. So. For example, we used to work in Trello, but now we've switched over to, to, to Jira as like a more kind of rigorous. <laughs> Trello is great, but it's not so great when you have about 14 people trying to manage different disciplines and it, it becomes very complicated very quickly. Um, 
And because there were people in the team who'd already worked with, with Jira, like they, they could kind of guide me through setting some of that up. And then after that, you can kind of roll with it and you can, you can just, you can make things a lot easier by just finding out what people are already familiar with, how you can improve your own processes by listening to what they're saying and then rolling that out to everybody else. Sorry, I'm touching the mic, aren't I? <laughs> Um, and actually, a question probably to put to you first, John. How, uh, how does the producer role in games compare to, say, film and television and VFX and animation producing? Is it transfer? I mean, obviously, you've managed yeah. to transfer the skills, but is there a parity there that's meaningful? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's all the same thing. Again, like I said before, it's telling a story. Mm -hmm. um, so games is, is just you know, creating something. Again, pre-production, production you know, post, really, when mm -hmm. you're doing the testing and the, the final, mm -hmm. you know, which takes 90% of the time, usually. Um, but, you know, all the skills we, in, in, in the company, we've kind of grown very organically. The programmers are ex-animators. Right. So they've come from the animation side. Our, our company, in similar, you know, with UX side, you've, you've come into games that way. We've come into it from animation mm -hmm. uh, and film. So, um, you know, our interest is in creating games that have a particular animation focus and a mm -hmm. really good, you know, sort of, sort of visual uh, quality. Uh, and obviously with, with the children's side, which has thankfully played the bills for a while, um, you know, with that comes a certain requirement to make things very simple and accessible. Mm. So I think like all these skills are transferable. And actually, the more you know, the better. I mean, I don't think I would have done so well. I say done so well, that's egotistical. But done as much as I have done, I should say, if I hadn't had the experience first of doing games, then yep. doing filmmaking, then doing compositing, animation, so, you know, 10 years of doing that and then start a company and then do it. I think that's actually brought in a lot of uh, sort of different areas that otherwise I think it would have tripped me up. Right. If I and hadn't have had that experience already of just managing people, really. And I'm watching other people manage people. Uh, yeah. The experience of that. And I guess as through things like virtual reality, there's <coughs> kind of a natural crossover between the industry. You know, the work of game developers is... Say becoming like the work of architects, architects in VR. That's true, but not so relevant here. But there must be more reason for those transferable skills well, to have a pro or am I being? No, no. VR is interesting actually because how much of it is a gimmick? <laughs> Ask me in two years' time. That's our next panel, um, so we can. Yeah, uh, we can. <laughs> VR is lovely, but it's 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 a solitary experience, and you know, in some ways, I don't really play a lot of games anymore. I don't have time, mm. but I enjoy watching other people play games. Uh, VR is going to be interesting, the fact that you can't sit down and watch your friend play a game next to you, but you can put on a VR helmet and be in there with them. However, it requires everybody in the room to have a VR helmet, so it's not the most social experience. Mm -hmm. However, VR is theatre. It's not like games where you, and like animation, you can choose the angle and games you choose where you go. VR is very much sitting in a space and everything else around you changing. So I tend to find with VR, it works, it, it's like theatre, you're actually producing a theatre play where lighting and blocking will, will affect where you need to be looking. And a good director actually will have to go all the way back to probably Greek theatre to figure out how to actually work, play VR properly and to create VR experiences that are perhaps narrative or non-narrative. So... VR is interesting, mm. and at least technology. I mean, I remember the old virtuality days when you had a headset that you know yeah. you moved free. So that way you'd fall over. Mm. Um, it was great fun to use, but God help us, it was never going to take off then. Mm. Um, but uh, but now you actually got something that is truly immersive, um, but it's got to get beyond that fairground ride yeah. kind of gimmick 
and create something meaningful if it's going to survive. And again, it all comes down to the content. Yeah, of course, yeah. And I'm slightly cautious as our next panel is the VR panel of opening the VR <laughs> can of worms too much. But just in terms of generally how emerging, to, you know, we've kind of established that game producing is quite diverse and flexible and your role might change as you move between companies. How much do emerging technologies, whether hardware like VR or something in the game production process, uh, the game development process, a piece of middleware, for example, like, are you guys constantly having to keep an ear to the rail of the future, like, or does the core craft of producing remain unchanged through technological change? I feel like a core part of the role is to be adaptive anyway, so I think it's kind of the same thing. You have, right. to, you have to stay as a core thing, you know, and always keep an ear to what's happening. So the consistent is change. Yeah, basically, yeah. Um, definitely, you know, like mobile, you know, your whole studio is kind of based around this mobile experience that wasn't there not that long ago, so that's like whole thing. And just, you know, generally, um, just going back to your point as well, like with film, there's pre-production and production and post, which you can broadly map out the same with games. But I would personally think more about it as like episodic TV. Because of the way technology is going, it's getting easier to iterate, you know, just to release patches and updates and stuff, especially with mobile, that's kind of like part of the model, you know, like what is your live ops plan? That's kind of part of it. So, yeah, I'd say that like, yeah, being adaptive, but also seeing how you can, yeah, transfer those skills over is, is important. I mean, actually, the one thing that's just changed a lot for me is, you know, I started doing, like, Don't You Keep It In The Hospital, which is you release a game, if you're lucky, you reduce a, you know, you do a, a follow-on one that can fix all the bugs later. Because now you can, you know, release them over time. But we're getting to the point now where games that we made three years ago, we need to keep updated Still on the ice storm. Mm. Either they get taken off or they don't work on new devices. So actually what I have to say to producers now is, Okay, great, you've got a budget for making a game, but what's your budget in three years' time when you've still got to support that game, when the show's still on air, what are you going to be doing? So I think that's actually where the games industry has changed a lot, is that it's no longer simply just making something and then releasing it. You've got ongoing costs for support stuff, for long you want it to remain live. Yeah. And all the, you know sort of support stuff that goes along with it when people moan about why something doesn't work. Yeah, and at any moment now we will throw the question, the, it opens questions from the audience. So, uh, well, I've got plenty more if you guys haven't, but as a last question from me, I'm sure there's lots of producers or aspiring producers in our audience, but perhaps many people in here will have to work with producers, you know, will become game designers or programmers. How can others in game development Keep you guys happy, or at least you know what, like for you for producing to work. I guess I'm thinking maybe a smaller or mid-sized studio where, you know, them making your life easy makes the game get made. So what can, what what do well-behaved developers do to make you guys happy? Um, I think. Uh, for me, it's, it's communication is just the, the absolute crutch that I depend on. Like, if you, if you don't tell me that something isn't going to plan, if, it, if you're getting behind, and if I don't get the chance to ask you until that's already had an effect, then there's a there's lim limit to what I can do about it. So I think just, 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 just like being at school and just being like, I'm stuck. Like, yeah. that's, that's basically it. It's just like just letting, letting, letting me know or letting your technical lead or uh, design lead or anyone like that um, just, just flagging things as quickly as possible because you have so much more flexibility in how you approach solving those problems when they don't get raised at 4.59 and the deadline was 5. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, for, for me, that, that is just, just, just having that sort of instinct to just immediately just, just tell everyone <laughs> that something has gone wrong. Um, that, that's for me. 
Yeah, well, I suppose managing expectations as well, really, with what creative want to produce as versus the budget and the schedule you've got. Mm. Um, I mean, I've worked in companies, naming no names, I already named them, where you know the motto was, it'll be ready when it's ready. We'll take an extra year. And you're thinking, that's lovely, yeah, but dream. that costs a hell of a lot of money per month to pay for all these people to sit here. And you, you're only going to still make the same amount of money when it's released, really. You're not going to make three times as much because you've done it, you know, taken an extra year. So I think it, it, it's... it's bringing that sort of managing people, managing expectations and saying, we always want to make something unique and interesting, but at the same time, we want to have something you can actually release that can be done on time. Any more kind of final tips for uh, easing the producer process? Yeah, I'd say like, you're there as part of a team. So as you were saying with us two as well, you know, like you guys are always working to make everything be great for the whole team. So it's like, oh, I've done my work, I'm done now. Like never ever think that, you know, there's always someone that, could use your advice or your help and always make time to realise that you're contributing to one common goal, I think is really important. Yeah, just uh, echo all these points. So for me personally, uh, all the teams that I, I work with, the number one thing is just trust. Just trust me that I'm going to work hard for you, uh, defend you when you deserve it, and if I do need to hang you out to dry, you're going to know that long before it happens. Yeah. Um, yeah so. Let's kind of go back to that family analogy, yeah. though, like all of those things you said, or any social group. Uh, yeah, so let's... Um, oh, brilliant. I think this man on the front row in the blue shirt deserves to ask the first question, because that was yeah. fast. Is this one? It is. Yeah. OK, great. I am um, a producer, and in my experience, I've spent a lot of time working with teams that are not only not in the same office, but they're usually not on the same continent, sometimes multiple continents. Uh, and you have all spoken to some degree or another about how important communication is. What tools or strategies do you use, in, if you have any experience with this, communicating outside your office or internationally? Yeah, so Slack. Slack's Slack. amazing. <laughs> I mean, yeah, if anyone here doesn't know about Slack, come and talk to us afterwards. It's, it's great for so many reasons. Like, it's just, it's natural to use. It's got that UX of any other messaging program. You can integrate all of your programs. So it's like someone who is working in China will know that the build server is down in another country and they can, they're getting live reports. You can, you know, you can send animated GIFs. That's the most important thing. <laughs> but yeah, like, that's, that's a big one. And obviously... Um, that you know, most studios now will have a morning stand-up and that is there for everyone to know how they can unblock each other's problems but also to feel accountable. So it's like, you know, three days in a row you're still stuck on the same thing. That becomes more apparent if you're catching up every day. So you've got to do that with your remote teams as well and find a time for that to work. If time zones are a thing, then it's like, you know, work with your team. You know, it's whatever's comfortable for them. If they can't do it at 9 o'clock, you know, make sure that there is a time where everyone checks in. Yeah, I think um, like our, our team isn't international, but we do have like international partners that we talk to. Um, and I, I think with those kind of communications, I think it's more that when you do get the chance to sort of sync up and you can have a sort of one-to-one -one conversation, trying to get kind of clear actions out of that so that you understand that what should have happened by the next time that you're able to actually have that sort of uh, direct communication again. You can, because you can use things like Slack, but if, if your time zones don't line up, it's, it's no different than an email, really, because it will sit there for... A, quite a few hours before someone has a chance to look at it. So I think as long as that time isn't lost um, and doesn't feel like it's not being used effectively, then um, that's, that's kind of the essential thing for me. Sorry, my nose is getting off. <laughs> it's cold. Yeah. For the animation projects we do, we try and keep everyone in-house. Um, 
and kind of the same with the, with the games is interesting, you can package up certain things, but I tend to find it's with certain processes. So you can do certain amounts of things together. You really have to, there's nothing easier than walking behind somebody, pointing at a monitor and going that. That might take an entire day on Slack or anything else to, to communicate, particularly when you're trying to communicate creative things with text, um, uh, particularly across languages and time zones and barriers. I'm working with China at the moment, which is fun, but you know, translating to Mandarin is not the most easiest, and trying to translate creative concepts is even worse. There's nothing easier than just drawing something, drawing a red <laughs> circle and going that. <laughs> Which, you know, picture pants, a picture, yeah, it, it really does say a thousand words. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, I think, I, but also it's people working together. Uh, I, I prefer having a, a studio with people in it because there's nothing better than actually having everyone come together, having lunch together, chatting together, living their lives together a little bit. They all have a shorthand. Uh, we do have people working remotely, but it, 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 it's, it actually takes a lot more management. Yep a lot more communication, a lot more producing. You'll end up doing not so much hands-on. You'll end up just communicating with everybody. Um, and also, things can get disconnected quickly. I, mm. I, I tend to find, well, for animation, yes, you kind of have to have, you know, we've produced an episode a week of an 11-minute series. You know, it's like there's a huge amount of throughput going, going on. You need to have that thing where all people can come together and look at something and talk about it. Um, but then with games, of course, people are a lot more sort of fractured and it's, you know, things are, you know, people all over the place. We, you know, we have remote programmers doing yeah. things. But, I, yeah, it, it, it's challenging. I think it's, it's started off the way for small companies and it has to. But I think the more you grow, the more communication you have to have, the bigger a project. I think the less you can really do remotely because, or at least you have to package up distinct things, like all the art is getting done there, all the programming is getting done there, all the certain parts is getting done there. You can have testing done here, but yeah, I think the bigger you grow, the more you need people together in order to make things quicker to communicate. Right, I hope you probably better wrap it there because we're out of time and we need to let the next lot in. Sorry, John, I could see half <laughs> a syllable came out of your mouth then, and I. Yeah, don't worry. Um, yeah, I've got many questions. I've uh, about seven or eight I didn't get to ask. I know some of the audience members didn't get to ask. We have run out of time, sadly. I don't want to speak to everyone, but hopefully you can go and pester some of these guys on the way out. I think you've got a uh, child's birthday party, your kid's birthday party to get to. Yeah, so Des is just going to push you out the way, but yeah. Hopefully the others can ask some questions. Thank you for being a wonderfully attentive audience. Thank you for the questions. And of course, thank you to our panelists.